Okay, so we're continuing our uh, series, sermons from the Psalms on prayer. Um, we're going to do Psalm 69. So what is Psalm 69 about? Let's start this way. So coaches, Ray, there's Ray, he's a coach. Others of you have coached. Uh, others of you have the distinct pleasure and privilege of being a peewee coach. Wonderful. Coaches test their players though, right? They test their players. They test their players' strength. Uh, they test their prayer, uh, players' speed, agility, athleticism, your athletic IQ, you know, the ability to process information uh, quickly and apply it to situations, execute it, uh, gain technique and skill. All of that is tested. And then there are some coaches, though, there are some coaches, though, that simply like to test your endurance, your, your mental physical strength. It's often called in, in the athletic world uh, the intangible. Uh, so I had this one coach that loved to do that. And what he would do is he would tell the team, he'd say, hey, let's head to the gym. And soon as he said the word gym, there'd be these moans and groans going all over the team as we headed into the gym. And then he would say, on your backs, legs up. Six inches, right? And he would say, not 5.9, not 6.1, six bleep bleep inches, right? And then we would do it. Now, this is an incredible drill, right? I mean, everyone here has done that. Most anyone that's been to PE will do that. This wasn't some great uh, core strengthening drill. Uh, this was simply to see how long you could hold on. Hold them! How long can you hold on? And then he would grab his stopwatch. Tick, 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 tick. Uh, it's, the, it's the worst because you're battling yourself, right? And then you watch legs start dropping. Am I going to drop? Am I going to drop? How long can I hold on? So-and-so's still holding on. They're not going to beat me. How long can you hold on? How long can you hold on with that boss? With that coach? With that teacher? With an enemy? How long can you endure and hold on evil? Injustice, shame. How long can you hold on with the bad things that come at you? How long can you hold on? How long can you hold on in relational conflict, in your marriage, at school, on the team, at work, at church, in the culture? How long can you hold on? How long can you endure hard places? That place of being misunderstood. That place of rejection. That place of a meaningless job. You just don't have a sense of call and purpose in your life. How long can you hold on? How long can you endure all the bad things that come out of you? Not just that come at you, but come out of you. How long can you hold on with that anxiety? 
with that stress, with that despair, with your sin? How long can you hold on? Welcome to Psalm 69. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. It's a long one. I always debate how oh, I'll cut this one out, and I can't, I can't ever cut them out. But I might when we get to this section that, that's pretty repetitive. It has the same idea over and over again, just from a different image or a different metaphor. I told Malachi we might skip, so just be ready. Here we go. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. <clears throat> I sink in dip, deep mire where there's no foothold. I've come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What did I, what I did not steal must I now restore? Oh God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me. O oh Lord, God of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. For it is your sake that I borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me. And the reproaches, it just means reproaches like deep humiliation. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit at the gate. The drunkards make songs about me. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul. Redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies. And then in 19, he goes on to talk about the things that God knows about him. So let's skip that. Let's look at 22. And he starts this theme that's not very popular today, and it's actually incredibly controversial. For 22 through 28, he starts calling down curses on his enemies. So let's just look at the first two. Let their own table before them become a snare. And when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and make their loins tremble continually. Let's go down to 29, if we can. But I am afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set on me on high. Set me on high, and I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoof. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive, for the Lord hears the needy, does not despise his own people who are prisoners. And then let the heavens and the earth praise him. Let the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build up cities of Judah, and the people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it, and so will those, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. Woo! This is the word of the Lord. 
All right, please be seated. So Lord, we ask that you would shine on this page. Would you help us, help us understand endurance? And Lord, would you give us endurance actively, even now as we hear about it? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so how long can you hold on? That's what Psalm 69 wants to know about you. How long can you hold on? That's the question. That's how it's prying into your business. It's saying, how long can you hold on? Well, look how it begins. Save me, O God, for the waters. So here we go. I mean, it just starts off, save me, O God, for the waters. Now, when you get to the waters, here's what you need to think about. I want you to get in your mind and in your heart and maybe in your relationships and in your world and in your home, what is the worst thing that could happen to you? What's your worst nightmare? I mean, do you have it right now? Think it. Is it starving Is it going to the beach and trying to make your way to shore, but you're cut off by a great white? It's just what you want to have put in your mind now as you head towards the beach. Uh, Is it being home alone at night, all alone, and there's that sound again in the basement? If you live up north, you're down south, that sound again in the attic? Is that your worst nightmare? Is it a pandemic? Is it global warming? Is it not getting into UMass? That's my school. I know everybody's dying to get there. In the ancient world, the worst thing that can happen to you was the waters. Because the waters, the waters were the waters of Noah. The waters were the waters of the ark. The waters were the waters of the epic flood. The decreation of creation. The waters were the end of the world. Oh God, save me for the waters. They've come up to my neck, which means they're still rising in verse 1. Look at verse 2. I sink in deep mire. Think of a mud pit. This is a pit of mud. You can think of a pit of quicksand. There's no foothold. So this means that there's no foothold. It's a bottomless pit of mud. It's a bottomless pit of quicksand. It pulls you down, and you have nothing solid to put your feet under, and you just keep going down, and all you can grab is stuff that pulls you further down. You're being swallowed up, a pit of mud. Have you ever felt swallowed up? Have you ever felt like there are powers beyond your control that swallow you? Then you get Psalm 69. David is experiencing the worst thing that could happen to you, his worst nightmare. Look at verse 3. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. In other words, I've been praying and praying and praying with no relief. And you go down to verse 3 again. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. So I've been praying and praying and praying with no relief. And so Psalm 69 is about suffering, right, without relief. But here's the kicker. Here's the hard part. Despite my prayers. He's suffering. He's praying. He's praying. He's praying. But no relief, even though he's praying. How long... Can you hold on? 
Psalm 69 wants to know, Psalm 69 is the endurance prayer. How long can you hold on? Well, some will say, well, why hold on, though? I mean, ditch the spouse. Quit the job. Hate the enemy. Destroy him. In other words, very few people endure in this world. How long can you hold on? Well, some say don't hold on. Take control, man. Seize power. I mean, come on. Impose your will. Justify yourself and condemn others. Reimagine the world. Reimagine reality. Very few endure. How long can you hold on? Well, some say, look, surrender to the suffering. Surrender to it. Just indulge yourself. Feel good. Take the pill. Be a victim. Be hopeless. Very few people endure. How long can you hold on? Some say, look, hold on. Hold on like me. Look how I'm holding on. Watch my grip. I'll give you 10 steps on how to hold on like Hezekiah. And you'll hold on better. Stuff your pain. Try harder. Kill your desires. Don't feel anything. Stuff it all. Be a Twitter tough guy like me. How long can you hold on? Very few hold on. Look at how David begins his prayer. Let's go to verse 1 if we can. Can we go there, Malachi? He is not there right now. When he gets back, we'll get him on verse 1. All right, when we go to verse 1, it says, Save me, O God. Look how it begins. It's just boom. Do you see how this prayer begins? Save me, O God. There's no, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. There's no acts acrostic, right? There's no adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication or praise. Uh, This is no nice prayer. This is, I can't hold on prayer, right? I can't do it. I can't pull myself out kind of prayer. This is not a prayer of holding on. This is a prayer that's saying, I can't hold on. Save me, O God. So how long can you hold on? Psalm 69 says not long. Not long at all. So what is the endurance prayer? Here's the answer. It's stunning, right? This is stunning. What is the endurance prayer? The answer to the endurance prayer is, You can't hold on. It's nothing but need. The endurance prayer is a prayer about nothing but your need. So if it's a prayer about nothing but need, what are we praying? And this is where it's pretty stunning, and this is where it's incredibly not practical. This is where it's not a very... um, forward-moving, progressing prayer. It seems like a backwards prayer. It seems like an unaccomplishing anything kind of prayer. It seems like a prayer that really doesn't work. Because the answer is, pray your need, of course. The endurance prayer is all about your need. So pray your need. And then we're going to watch something strangely happen in the midst of praying your need. Did you notice, even as we were reading it, there was like these interjections, these intrusions, these, these breakthroughs of light that you just like, where did that come from? And then it moves away and we're back in it again. But throughout this prayer, as he's praying, all of a sudden, 
There's intrusions happening. There's break-ins and breakthroughs happening. Things that he didn't conjure up. Things that he didn't self-manufacture. Things that he didn't think about and hope for. It just happened in the midst of his prayer. We're going to see that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to see in verses 4 through 28, David prays his need. And we're going to look at how he does it. Because we're going to look at how he does it practically. In other words, okay, I can learn something from this. I can, I can pray like this. But you're also going to find your voice in his prayer, which means, oh man, my heart feels like this. There's something about reading a psalm and finding you there. There's something about that. Something that's incredibly enduring. So the endurance prayer is nothing but need. So what are we doing? We're going to pray our need. Let's look at what David does. So the first thing that David's going to teach us about praying your need is do not soften the sin of others. You see that? Oh, they didn't mean it. Oh, they, they had good intentions. Oh, just overlook it. It's no big deal. Verse 4, more in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. He doesn't soften the sin of others. He outright prays it for what it is. Second thing we learn about David from praying his need, he says, do not play the victim. Do not play the victim. I'm a victim. You're a victim. Everyone's a victim of life. Everyone's a victim in their relationships. Everyone's a victim in the culture. Look at verse 5. Oh God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. I mean, this is an accurate self-assessment of every human being. And so, yes, yes, we just saw that you can be a victim of someone's sin. Do not soften it. But at the same time, while you're, while you're engaging that reality and talking that to God, you need to see that you're an agent of sin too. Because if you're only a victim and you're not an agent, you're going to go down weird places. And if you're only an agent and not a victim, you soft pedal the sins of others, even in your own marriage or your relationships, you'll go down weird places. Both are held simultaneously in David's prayer. Now, the third thing you need to know about praying your need that we learn from David is that the need for grace, the need for grace is resisted by others. The need for grace is, we, it's an old word, is persecuted by others. The need for grace is offensive, is another old word to others. So in other words, what David's about to say is like, listen, you need to know that the need for grace is always resisted and always offensive in homes and schools and churches and cultures in the workplace. So don't be shocked at this, he's trying to say. Who's shocked that the need for grace is resisted? Who's shocked when the need for grace, sin and grace talked about in the culture, is not like to be heard? So that's what he's saying. He's saying the issue is not that it's happening. The issue is, does God overcome it? And of course, the answer is yes, he does overcome resistance and the offense to sin and grace. That's how we got here, right? So listen to it. He says, it's for your sake that I born reproach, humiliation. In other words, he's saying, listen, God, it's, 
because I'm associated with you. The dishonors covered my face. I've become a stranger to my brothers. In my own house, I'm alone and isolated because my own family doesn't understand the need for grace. And then he goes into verse 9. He says, for zeal for your house. Remember we saw last week the house is where the near grace of God meets sinners. So zeal for this place that you meet sinners. My zeal for it. And to remember, this verse is also applied to Jesus in the New Testament. In fact, when, when Jesus is clearing out the temple, he's clearing out everything that's getting in the way of God's grace, clearing everything to make a clear path just for God's near grace, moving all the barriers and all the things that are happening, that it was applied to Jesus. So the grace of God, the need for grace, being zealous for it, is going to be resisted. In fact, when you go down to verse 10, notice what he says in verse 10, when I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, I became a reproach. In other words, see, when I express my need for grace, it's not liked. Verse 11, when I made sackcloth with my clothing, when I expressed my need, these are all expressions of the need for grace. That word, I became a byword. In other words, I became the illustration of a fool, a loser. So one of the things that we can, again, learn by praying our need is that the need for grace is always resisted. But does God overcome our resistance? Of course he does. All right, let's take a time out because watch what happens in verse 13. In the endurance prayer, it's amazing, but as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, an acceptable time, answer me. What? Do you see what just happened? All of a sudden, we're in the midst of praying his need, but in the midst of praying his need, something happens that wasn't there before. Do you see what he says? He says, at an acceptable time. At an acceptable time, nothing's been an acceptable time up to this point. He's saying, at an acceptable time, answer me. All he has been praying so far is, save me, oh God. I am being swallowed up. The worst thing, the end of the world is happening to me. And all of a sudden, in the midst of the flood, in the midst of the pit, in the midst of it, there's some light. And you got to look at this prayer and you're like, well, what happened? He, he, what happened? All of a sudden, as he's praying his need, endurance shows up. As he prays his need, Endurance starts breaking in to his life. This is so impractical. This is so unmethodological. This is so not step one, step two, step three, get this. This is so dysfunctional. This is so strange. He's praying his need, and endurance shows up. Let's keep going. In an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love. Steadfast love is the same thing as saying your enduring love. Where did that come from? What? Answer me in your saving faithfulness. That's the same thing as saying your enduring work in my life. What? Somehow, somewhere in the middle of praying his need, enduring love shows up. The enduring work 
of God's grace in his life shows up. Breathtaking. It's like, what just happened? Grace just happened. So one thing that's really impressive about this prayer so far is this. He's incredibly weak. If Paul was here, Paul, I bet Paul is like, he prayed this prayer all the time. How do I know this? Because remember what Paul said? Paul said that I will boast in my weakness. Why would he boast in his weakness? Because Paul said God's power connects deeply and shows up and is perfected in my weakness. And so you know that one of the ways that you can boast in your weakness is to pray your needs. So I guarantee you, Paul was in 69 all the time. All the time boasting of his weakness, all the time praying his need because that's where God's endurance deeply connected with him. And he experienced it. And in the flow of this passage, that's what's happening. As he's praying his need, all of a sudden, God's enduring love shows up. God's enduring work in his life shows up. And he experiences it. And it's not something he manufactured or controlled. It happens. Phenomenal. So let's keep going. We've got two more things to look at on how to pray your need. The second or the fourth thing is do not stuff your pain. Don't say things like, I can handle it, it's okay, it's not a big deal. Don't say things like, I'm not going to say things, I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to be a great Viking and stuff it. Stoic. Strengthen on it. That actually is the weakest thing that you can do. It's actually like the most unpowerful thing you can do. Because now you're relying completely on your own resources and you weren't made to carry burdens. And so you break. Maybe mentally, maybe emotionally, maybe relationally, maybe spiritually, maybe physically that you break. So watch what happens. What David does instead, he says, look, God, you know my reproach. He just goes, you know my, my painful experience of humiliation, verse 19. You know my shame, you know my dishonor. You know that I have foes all around me, right? In verse 20, reproaches, this painful experience, this painful feeling of shame has broken my heart so that I'm in despair. This is how he's talking. There's no stuffing there's praying it. There's no surrendering to it either. We've already looked at that. He's not surrendering to it. He's not stuffing it. He's praying it. Phenomenal. I mean, just think about how healing this is emotionally for all of us. Just think of how much mental health and emotional health and spiritual health could be helped already just with that. Praying your pain. Not stuffing your pain. Not surrendering to it. Praying your pain. Phenomenal. But again, it's so impractical. It's so unmethodological. You don't write books on this stuff. This is like grace, mystery, God stuff. This is stuff you can't control. 
Listen to this. He says, I looked for pity, but there was none. I looked for someone to comfort me for comforters. You know, you imagine like Job, he's looking for someone to just sit with him in the ashes and no one does. They come in and they, they push on his wounds. I looked for comforters and found none. And then this is very interesting. They gave me poison, verse 21. They gave me poison for food and my thirst, for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. In other words, he's saying, oh God, it's so bad that my most basic needs for food and drink are now unsafe to me. That's how bad it is. Praise is pain. The last thing we need to learn about praying your pain or praying your need is do not over-spiritualize it. In other words, don't say things like, I shouldn't feel this way. It's not a good Christian to feel this way. Good Christians don't feel this way. That, that's over-spiritualizing. Don't be a super saint. So lastly, in verses 22 through 28, these are those controversial, this is incredibly controversial because David calls down curses and judgments on his enemies. And so everybody freaks out. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. And then quickly, we're explaining it away. We're not going to do that. Right now, I'm going to ask you to simply feel the force of it. I'm going to ask you to just feel the force of the honesty to be able to pray this way. Feel the force of the freedom to be able to pray this way. Feel the force of the healing to be able to pray this way. Think of the spiritual resources that could be released into your emotional, mental, spiritual life, praying this way. Think of the resources that could be released into your relationships, praying this way. Things like, let their own table before them become a snare, and when they're at peace, let it be a trap. Verse 24, pour out your indignation upon them and let let your burning anger overtake them. Verse 26, For they persecute him whom you have struck down, and they recount the pain of those you have wounded. Add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. I mean, 28, let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. I mean, what is David doing? You know what David's doing? He's letting God take all the bad things. Saying, God, it's not my work to accuse. It's not my work to condemn. It's not my work to criticize. It's your work. It's not my work to judge. It's your work. And that transfer from him to God of the bad things is healthy, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, culturally healthy. How long can you hold on? Psalm 69 says not long at all. It's a prayer about nothing but need. So pray your need. And as you do, you endure. Stuff happens, as we say. 
Do you notice that the endurance prayer ended with praise? It's almost like a last thing expected. How did that happen? I mean, it just sh- you're like, really? I mean, uh, at this point, he probably grabbed his planned prayer book and just recited it because he's supposed to, right? That's what you anticipate. I mean, come on, because no one, no one who is suffering without relief, despite their prayers, erupts with praise. How does that happen? How does this happen? I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. What is happening? Well, certainly some more of God's endurance is breaking into his life as he prays his need. We've already seen it, so obviously we can account for maybe praise happening because that dynamic is still happening, right? Good. But there's more here because he actually tells us why. Here's his reason. Look at verse 33. For, we got it, the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. This is David's reason for why he's praising God. He hears the needy, he hears me. He hears me. He hears somehow. That's enough. Somehow, some way, that's enough. Why does the Lord hear him? This is how we're going to end. Matthew says something incredibly striking. He says, do you know the ultimate suffering servant of Psalm 69 is not David, but Jesus? He says, look, yeah, David said these things, but he was the shadow. Jesus is the substance. Because it's incredible because Matthew takes a lot of what's being the, the literary flow of the psalm and the specifics of the psalm and plies it and maps it and exhausts it on Jesus intentionally. It's like Jesus' song. He says things like, Jesus suffers, Jesus suffers without relief on the cross. His most basic need for drink is unsafe. Quote, verse 33, And when they came to the place called Golgotha, which is a place called the Skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. Straight out of Psalm 69. Jesus is suffering without relief. But then he does something else. He says, Jesus is suffering without relief. Not despite his prayer, like David. Remember, David's suffering without relief despite his prayer. Save me, save me, save me. He's not getting saved. David is calling down judgment on his enemies. Save me, save me, save me. Jesus is not suffering despite his prayers. Jesus is suffering on the cross because of his prayers. Oh, Lord. Don't bring me relief. Oh, Lord, call down judgment on me. Forgive them, Father. That's calling down judgment on him. So, God heard Jesus' prayer. 
so he can always hear yours. Always. Always. For the Lord hears the prayers of the needy. That's enough. Let's pray.